not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses, I just want to be free from the power weakness had on me. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm Jean McCarthy, recovery author, blogger, and podcast host. I've been chronicling my adventures in life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety a decade ago in my blog, Unpickled, and in the books that I write, two of them so far and more of them on the way. I tell my stories there, and I hold space for your stories here. And today I'm holding space for Will Black. Hi, Will. Welcome to the Bubble Hour. Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for having me on. Really appreciate you taking the time to share my story with your listeners. Well, thanks for being here. And I know that the guys in the audience are always happy when I have a fellow on the show because we are often dominated by female voices on this show. So thank you for stepping up and sharing your story. Well, you're very welcome. My story began in the Midwest in the United States, um, big, big heavy drinking culture. I grew up dealing with depression, anxiety, self-esteem issues. As a young teenager, young child, these were hard, hard to cope with. And as a late teen, early adult, I really turned to alcohol as a means to cope and sort of deal with some of the anxieties and stressors I was facing. Alcohol for me initially hit me as this big cure-all. It was one where I was afraid to go out and speak to people. And now those, those worries, they felt like they melted away. But alcohol, much much like many that can relate, um, these these promises, these things that I thought were solutions to problems, really only exacerbated and really only made things harder and much worse. For the culture I grew up in, um, alcohol is really a part of all walks of life, every social gathering, every party, every wedding, any sort of social event. And for me, it was one where I just could not imagine life without it that had never been presented to me as an option, had never it was outside of my realm of what I perceived to be real. So when I started drinking as a late teen, um, I mean almost immediately I was blacking out, I was starting fights, I was sending weird texts. It was one where I knew almost from the get-go that I had a problem. But for years, the only solution, the only way of coping or dealing with it that I could really come to was just trying to moderate. And so I didn't essentially everything, everything that's recommended or everything that people suggest. I had a glass of water in between drinks. I would set a limit on the number of drinks I had each night. I would have a big meal beforehand to try and fill my stomach. I did this for years and years and to absolutely no no success, no avail. It was really sort of the sum total of these experiences that I didn't necessarily have one 
bad night or one big blowout, but it just dawned on me uh, years ago that I didn't know how to live without alcohol, but I knew that I could no longer live with alcohol. And so back in April of 2018, I put down the bottle for good and began my sobriety journey. Initially, for me, I turned to others that had achieved sobriety as a source of inspiration. I looked at people who had sunk worse than me, who had who had done more damage in their life, and who had risen higher than where I was. And so, I turned to their guidance for support. Um, I I read a lot of books, listened to a lot of podcasts. I really just turned for inspiration of people who had achieved success, how they did it, and tried to model and listen to their guidance. And especially personally for me, when I got sober, I happened to be on a study abroad trip down in Australia, another heavy drinking culture. And initially, what really helped bring me out of my depression, helped really lay the bedrock for the foundation of my journey was fitness and meditation. I began strength training regularly. I began meditating daily. And these became lifelong practices for me now and really just helped keep me grounded um, they helped build my self-esteem. They helped make me feel better, help replace some of some of the things that I had been missing from, from alcohol. And as the years went by, eventually I graduated from school. And after that, I was sort of in a state of not really knowing what I wanted to do with my life. I was working in sales and then I happened to come across yoga teacher training, uh, really really just by happenstance. And yoga, for me, really combined all of the things that had helped me on my journey. It was fitness, it was community, it was spirituality, all in this one beautiful, cohesive tradition. I graduated from yoga teacher training. I began reflecting on my life up until that point where I had been, what I had overcome. And from there, I really began devoting more times to the service of others. After after being on a healing journey for many years and feeling that I had I had learned a lot. I had I had I was in a position where I felt like I had something to give to the world. I began to see how I could pursue service. And initially I started uh, by writing a book, I really just wanted to take some of the basics of what I had learned, how I could give it to others. So I wrote a book based on my own journey and the lessons I had learned. And really with that, just wanted to convey how to how to set goals, how to improve your health, how to remove limiting beliefs, how to take on empowering beliefs. Um, and I really began sharing my message, sharing my story in the hopes that it would help others. For a lot of my sobriety, it was turning to others for support. And I found that the more we share our stories, the more we can help people know that they aren't alone, the more empowered they feel. I think one of the traps of alcohol and alcoholism is making us feel like we're alone. 
I certainly remember in early sobriety feeling like something something was wrong with me, something was missing. Growing up in a culture where everyone drinks, that if I was the only one having problems, I was the only one who couldn't handle it. It definitely it made me feel like an outsider. I felt ashamed not only for how I was behaving drinking, but I felt ashamed because I couldn't drink on top of that. I mean, the stories of learning that I wasn't alone, age can be a really critical factor. I know many of my peers, many young people, like they're, it, it feels like their entire social circle is built around drinking. And in many cases, it is. So for me, some of my worries or anxieties were, how am I going to have friends if I give up drinking? How am I going to have a dating life if I give up drinking? How am I going to have fun? How am I going to connect with people? And really, these are ultimately what I discovered are just lies. I mean, one, it's perpetuated by the culture we live in, it's perpetuated by our own mindsets. But the more I can share and we can share that these are falsehoods, the more I think it gives others the courage and empowers them to know that they are not bound to these limitations. Certainly in my life, I have found nothing but abundance and positivity from getting sober. My friendships are stronger than they've ever been. My relationship is stronger. My career, my creativity, even, I mean, I think many, many artists, many authors, many writers, musicians, I think many feel that alcohol is their their muse, their gift, where their creativity sparks. And by far for me, the most creative and the most inspiring work I have ever accomplished has been when I've been clear-headed and sober. And now where I'm at as far as sobriety go is giving back. I'm very proud and honored to work with The Phoenix a national sober organization that provides fitness classes across the country. I teach yoga regularly there in Denver. I published my book last year, Dualities, that teaches many of the insights I've gained on how I overcame alcoholism, how I overcame addiction, many of the strategies I used there. And as far as where I am where I am now and what motivates me, um, really my, my aim, my message, my drive is to just share the journey I was on, how I overcame it and what life is like now to hopefully empower others to consider, consider a journey of their own. I certainly believe in a very harm reduction model when it comes to sobriety. I I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all approach. Yoga and meditation are very much what resonated with me, what healed me. I think for others, it's about exploring the outlets that work for you. I think community is integral. I think fitness is integral. I think where you find your community, what you do to strengthen and enliven your body is certainly up to the individual to find what most speaks to them, what most resonates to them. I certainly come from a viewpoint of just wanting to share the many, many available options and hopefully guiding others to 
to find the calling that works with them. I think with sobriety, there really becomes these these pivotal moments. As a young person, it can feel painful to quote unquote give up drinking. I think even even that verbology can have this this toxicity to it. It's easy to feel like we're giving something up, we're losing something. And I think more than anything, sobriety is a gift that we give ourselves. It's your body is better, your relationships get better, life is brighter, life is stronger. With anything worthwhile in life, there are initial growing pains, there's an uncomfortability, but the harder journey is almost always more worthwhile. I think there is the pain of initially getting sober. Um, if you're someone like me who dealt with extreme social anxiety, I I felt like I had to relearn everything. Uh, like I wasn't good as it as a kid, and then I learned how to socialize as a young adult drinking, and then I had to relearn how to socialize as a sober person. But going through that uncomfortability. Now I'm not reliant on that. I know so many people who they couldn't imagine going going out to a party without drinking. They couldn't imagine going to concerts without drinking. They couldn't imagine interacting with some people without this liquid crutch, the liquid courage as it's often called. But really when you're operating from that mindset, you're operating from a place of scarcity and from fear. And although it's it can be uncomfortable to push beyond ourselves, to push beyond our boundaries, there is so much power and it is so much worth going to the other side of that. I think no matter where you are or what stage you're at, it's just there, there are always trade-offs you're going to have to do. I think getting sober in your 20s is hard. I think getting sober in your 40s or 50s or 60s is even harder after a lifetime of accumulating it, no matter where you are, I think it is always such a powerful choice. I am certainly moved and I am incredibly inspired if there's someone who's in their 60s, 70s, who after a lifetime decides like they, they're done with this. They, they don't want to live this way that they are putting down, putting down their poison. I think that's truly a remarkable choice. I think really what we all have is the present moment we have today. And I think choosing to live from a place of truth, I think leaning into what's what's right and we feel called to, even if it's the harder choice, is ultimately the path where we are going to feel the most fulfillment, the most spiritually alive. And so I guess I would just end saying that if if you feel that calling if you know in your heart that that is the choice even if it seems scary even if you are unsure of the choices know that there are many op- options available to you there are many people who will help you who will support you that this is a worthy undertaking and it is the ultimate gift you will give yourself Mm, I love that perspective. It is so true. And it's funny, you you mentioned, you know, the harder path is is often worth taking. The greater effort that we make is is worthwhile. But when I look back on 
the last years of my drinking, it was a lot of work <laughs> to manage that level of dysfunction. You know, it's my life is so much simpler to just have none. It's none is so much easier than some. Have you found that? Oh, most certainly. I I think that's a very uh, funny, like wonderful take on it. It is hard. Like it's one, it's very hard to keep going down that way. And yeah, it's, it's funny being further past it now. Like what's simpler? Like, oh, I always have my phone. I always have my wallet. I'm not like, I don't know. I mean, it used to be a weekly problem that I would be like, what happened last night? Like, where was I? Who did I talk to? What did I say? And it's like, I haven't had those thoughts or worries or concerns in years. Right. Like there, there is just this simplicity and ease of just like always being in your faculties of always knowing exactly what happened. I've often heard people talk about waking up the next day and checking their phone and sort of living in this uncertainty until they can figure out what happened the night before. And that wasn't my experience when I was drinking. I managed to time my blackouts with going to bed at night. So I I was able to quit drinking before I got to where I was at that stage. But, you know, keep drinking, you'll get there. And um, it's it just sounds like such a fearsome burden to wake up in what seems like the opening scene of a movie of like, where am I? How did I get here? What happened? You know, did I hurt anyone last night? Do the people I love, are they even here still? <laughs> like, what have I done to my life? So what a relief to not live that way anymore. You talked about socializing and relearning how to socialize as a sober person and that you grew up in a, a culture and a, a world where alcohol was part of everything. That was certainly my experience too. Have you found now that you've got some sobriety under your belt and you have a, a milestone, a sober birthday coming up next month. So congratulations. Oh, thank you. Have you found that as you've sort of rebuilt your life in recovery, do you feel like you're a sober person walking around in a drinking world? Or have you found that, oh, little by little, you start to build more alcohol-free things into your life and suddenly it becomes much easier to navigate the world? How does that look for you? I think it's it's certainly an interesting perspective. I I most certainly, because I remember for a long time just describing like I grew up in a drinking culture and the more I would travel, the more I would see the world, the more I just had this viewpoint of everywhere is a drinking culture. I've really found that as far as getting sober, it, one fear in early sobriety that many of us face is that we're going to lose our ability to connect. We're going to lose these social outlets and everything that is available to you drinking is available to you as a sober person. And almost, I mean, there are so many things where people choke where it's like, Oh, I would only do that. If I was drunk, I would only go to this show if I was drunk. And it's like anything that's like that is not worthwhile in the slightest. If you need to be, out of your mind or in this like dull, numb state to enjoy it, it's not an enjoyable experience. But every, everything else as far as, I mean, when it comes to social gatherings and a pre-COVID world, like being being sober, being, being around people who are drinking, I, I think so much just depends on the company you keep. I mean, there are certainly people that will judge you for not drinking that will that will put down that choice but 
every time I've experienced that, that is someone who has their own unhealthy relationship with alcohol. My social circle has definitely changed and evolved over the years, but many friends who continue to drink are nothing but supportive on my journey. Many of them are very proud. Many of them are inspired by what I've done. It it doesn't mean that they want to follow my path, but it's one of, we all don't need to be the same to to enjoy each other, to connect, to relate. My social sphere and my company and the way I interact with the world has improved a hundredfold compared to what it was when I was drinking. So can you think of any basic skills or any basic tips or tricks that you had used in early sobriety to navigate those awkward moments? We often hear people gearing up to go to their first wedding sober or their first convention sober. Was there anything you kind of learned to do that really made that easier? Absolutely. I mean, I think the biggest the biggest things that really helped me were were mindset shifts often a lot of our insecurities a lot of our worries if if we're of the mindset like i'm the only one drinking everyone knows or everyone's judging me honestly a lot of that is very internal i think holding that is very helpful i think experiencing it is more powerful as far as like making that into a reality, I guarantee, I mean, the first, the first weddings, the first things can be very uncomfortable. I was four months sober and I was at my sister's wedding. And for me, I mean, it was back in the Midwest. So I was felt all this pressure. Every single person is drinking. Like I was one where at the time I wasn't confident saying like, I don't drink or I'm sober. So I had like a little mocktail, a little pretend thing I would carry around. I think for some like that, especially in early, something like that can be can be helpful. I think that can maybe ease you in. But I think the longer you are sober, the more that that becomes a solid part of your identity and the more that you can be really proud of that, because especially in the early stages, I definitely felt that like shame, like I'm not drinking and like that makes me less. But the more I saw not drinking as like, this is a really brave thing. Like so few people have the courage to not drink. So few people recognize that this is a destructive force in their life and move away from it. Um, And so few, I mean, even fewer like really commit to it. So at some point there was a turning for me where not drinking became something I was proud of. And then it became something I was like integral to my identity. And then the more self-assured you are, the more confidence you bring, the more you can own that identity and the more people will resonate with that. You reminded me as you talked about being at your sister's wedding that I have three sons. And when the oldest one got married, I was still drinking. And I remember at that wedding, kind of standing on the sidelines and just trying not to let anyone know how much I wanted to drink more and how I was trying to control my drinking that night. And just like I was rigid, just trying to hold myself together. So you think of like the alcoholic in the crowd as being like, you know, somebody that's really embarrassing themselves, but often it's someone who's just like not having any fun. Mm. And then by contrast, another one of my boys got married uh, two years ago 
pre-COVID. And at his wedding, I loved being sober. It was so fun. I remember every second of that wedding. And there was one point in the night where I was watching all of the young people on the dance floor, you know, the wedding party and all their friends. And there was a guy standing on a chair with no shirt on. And I think he had one of the bridesmaids like scarves or something around his shoulders. And he was leading the dance floor in singing Bohemian Rhapsody. (laughs) And I kind of looked at him like, wow, that guy is like, that guy must be really drunk or, you know, oh, these guys are wild. And someone said to me, funny, that guy on the chair doesn't drink. He's the most sober person in the room right now. And he's having the most fun. And, you know, it just goes to show, you know, we, we think everybody's looking at us. We think we won't be any fun without alcohol. And yet, oh man, not, none of it, none of that is true. We just play these tricks on ourselves. Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I definitely felt the same, same way in settings like that where, yeah, before it was like, oh, I can't dance unless I'm drunk and, I don't know, the more the more you become self-assured, like the easier it is to dance, the more fun it is to like jump around and be silly because it's yeah, like no one's no one's paying attention. No one like no one cares that you're dancing. It's yeah, those are just yeah. tricks we play on ourselves. So you mentioned a shame identity. Where do you think that came from? Will, did you know someone that everybody whispered about or on the flip side, did you have a sober person in your life that you were able to look up to? There are many alcoholics in in my family. Yeah, I guess I mean I guess I could point to as examples of why why that was a dangerous path for me. I I mean there's so much to the genetic components. I really as far as sobriety, I did not I did I had no sober models in my life whatsoever. I think part of the shame stood from that then that literally in my mind everyone drinks like it's just a part of life so I mean there were ways in my life I was comfortable being different but that was one where it's just like I am like fundamentally different like I am I am an other I'm an outcast I think more of my issues with self-worth stemmed from childhood of not really knowing how to socialize of being very alone coping in that way and so those anxieties just fed on each other and just constantly made me feel like this other drinking was one where I felt sort of tricked as far as initially it seemed like oh now I'm just like everyone else and then like immediately I'm having problems and I'm also different in this way now too I don't I can't do this thing that everyone else gets to do oh isn't that just such a big part of it like I'm especially bad I'm especially bad sober I'm especially bad not sober (laughs) Yep. (laughs) It's it's like our brains just play that trick on us and I I really find that For me, the part of my brain that I think is the biggest cheerleader for addiction, it leverages those thoughts and it just whispers those thoughts. You know, if I have them, it really, that's the part of my brain that's like, ooh, let's, yeah, let's put this on loop. (laughs) Oh, for sure. The mind plays really interesting tricks on us. I mean, it sort of depends what your like default programming is, but if you are in 
a negative sense of self-worth, if you feel like an other. It's one also how we're taught to cope with so many of these feelings. I mean, I think being unsure of your identity as a teenager, of not knowing how to interact with the world, these are all very natural feelings. But so often we're not taught that. Like we're not taught that this is how you should be feeling, that this is normal. You're feeling weird and it's like, I'm the only one feeling weird. And it's just the more when we normalize those feelings, the more we take away some of the power of that. Even going into a social setting, some of like the first times in early sobriety, if you know I'm going to be uncomfortable, this is unique for me. If you can just recognize that and hold it, it takes away some of the power. I'm uncomfortable, but I'm doing this anyway. And then you go through it, you survive it, and then, oh, that wasn't that bad. Oh, actually, I had some fun. Okay, like I could do that again. I mean, once once you've done something once, you can do it again. Oh, that's so true. And don't you find too that your brain thinks this, I'm going to this, I don't know, say concert and I'm not drinking and it's going to be so hard. It's going to be so awful. But actually there might just be a few instances of awkwardness where someone offers you a drink or where you get a whiff of alcohol and it gives you a craving. But for the most part, you're probably going to be distracted by this great thing that you're <laughs> attending. And it's not going to be four hours of discomfort. It's just a few awkward moments in between. Absolutely. I mean, one of it's and it's one of the funny things too, as far as concerts are one of, I think, the funniest examples. If you think you're missing out by not drinking, you have it so backwards. Because when you're sober and you're having fun, you were just there enjoying the music. Watch the crowd and you'll see people drinking where it's like they're constantly looking up to see if the guy with the cooler is going to be around. Oh, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. How am I going to get back to my spot? And they're just like constantly pulled away and not actually experiencing the show where if you're dead sober, it's like, I'm just enjoying the music. I'm enjoying the spectacle. Like this is just all awesome. The other thing I thought was going to be terrible sober, which turned out to be wonderful, is traveling. So you're a world traveler. Talk about the difference between traveling sober versus not. Uh, I mean, I certainly feel a lot safer traveling sober. I mean, I was <laughs> I was uh, almost every time I drank got to the point of blackout. So the idea of doing that international and where I, I don't speak the language or I can't get around, that just has a whole myriad of problems. Priorities become different. Like I, if I'm traveling, I want to experience like the beach or the buildings, the architecture, the culture, the food, the people. I'm not worried where is somewhere I can get a drink. I'm not itching. I'm not uncomfortable. It's just another worry that's removed. I mean, it certainly just allows me to be more present and soak up the experience more. Certainly, um, yeah, in a pre-COVID world, definitely allowed me to travel more too. One of one thing people say all the time is like, oh, I can't afford to travel. And it's like, well, you go to the bars three times a week and spend hundreds of dollars. So like, if you didn't do that, you would have a lot more time for adventure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's so true. I know I was spending about $10 a day on alcohol and, you know, just as a home drinker. And like, that's thousands a year. That's a, that's a great vacation for my husband and I just on the not the money I'm not spending on alcohol. It's amazing. I also find that it's a 
bargain, it's a bargain to travel sober because A, you're not seeking out and buying alcohol, but also you get this time. So it's like you get twice as much vacation time because your mornings are great and you remember everything in the evening. And so I just feel like it's such a value to travel as a sober person. Oh, I think that's such a good point. I mean, I think time, I mean, traveling, but in life too, for the majority, it's like their Fridays are going to be going to the bar and then Saturday morning or Sunday morning is going to be this dead period. And when you're sober, that time is yours. You don't wake up feeling groggy. You wake up feeling good. You do uh, some corporate training. Yeah, I uh, teach yoga and meditation to corporate teams. People I've worked with have been, we're in the COVID world. Normally, this funds would be going to our quarterly party, but we'll do yoga this quarter instead because we're all working from home. It's shifting more to like the value it brings. Investing in health and wellness is very much long-term happiness, long-term benefits, whereas like investing in a night of open bar is one night everyone blows off steam. I wonder if, if there will be a general cultural shift over time as as people start to see improved performance from people when we invest in their wellness versus facilitate self-destruction. Uh, <laughs> that would be interesting to see. You mentioned that you don't believe in, in a one-size-fits-all approach to recovery, and you specifically mentioned harm reduction. There's a lot of things that fall under the umbrella of harm reduction. So do you refer to that as pathway towards abstinence or do you recommend a patchwork approach or just talk more about what that means to you and and what you feel is sort of the goal of recovery? I think for many people, the idea of committing to sobriety can be so, so daunting. It can be just like this big life shift. Anytime if you're making a choice that seems like this is going to be the rest of my life, that can be almost overwhelming. That can be too much. I've definitely heard it phrased where if you think you have a problem, you do. And very much in my experience, once you have leaned into alcoholism, um, especially if it's things like blacking out, I am... I have never seen an instance of someone really moderating. I don't want to speak and say that it could never be done. But when I've heard stories, when I've looked at the change people make, when someone says, I've quit drinking, there's this universal, that's great, congratulations, this is so wonderful. I've never heard someone be like, I've gone back to drinking, and that ended up being a good choice. I mean, it certainly was my experience throughout my drinking. I, I would take breaks, two-month break, a three-month break, a six-month break. And it would be one where I would come back to it and I didn't have problems right away. But the problems escalated so quickly. And so when I committed to getting sober, I've tried moderation. I have tried doing the things. And that absolutely doesn't work for me. I think why. I, I say there's not a one-size-fits-all approach is just that I think there are many modalities and many teachings, many lessons that work 
for different people. Um, there's certainly different recovery organizations. There are different principles. Finding the one that speaks to you is really critical. I just like giving people options. Like I, I mean, fitness is one I always recommend, but I always tell people like there are so many outlets. Uh, I mean, it's why organizations like the Phoenix are great. You can go do weightlifting. You can go do kettlebells. You can do yoga. You can go hiking. One of these things might speak to you. And if I were to just be like, yoga is the answer for many people, they're that's not going to call to them, and then they're they're going to feel left out. I think sobriety is such an intensely personal choice, personal journey. One of the key indicators of whether or not it's going to be successful is if you make that choice for yourself. If you are getting sober for your partner or your friends or your family, I think that's really noble, but sobriety is difficult. So when it's difficult, you're going to be looking at them in resentment. I gave up this fun for you. And I feel this way because of you. If you are driving from internal of this is hard, but I'm doing this for myself to be the best version of myself, I think ultimately that will give you the greatest sense of power. Mm, I think that's so important. And we underestimate that because it's easy to look outside of ourselves, especially if we're part of that people-pleasing, codependent demographic that that ends up in active addiction that we'll we we forget about ourselves like we think well I I don't matter but you know I'm doing this for my kids mm. or doing this for my job and then yeah you know your kids are going to grow up and leave home or your your job might change or you're going to retire like at some point at some point we have to face ourselves and it's interesting when you mentioned yoga I I had to smile because when I was the end years of my drinking, but really for all my life, I couldn't stand yoga. To me, <laughs> yoga was just such weak tea, you know? I just thought, oh, brother. Really what it was, Will, was that I couldn't stand to be alone with myself. Mm. And the whole reason I drank was because I could numb myself with busyness all day. But at the end of the day, damn it, I had to go to bed. <laughs> I went to bed and closed my eyes. Then there I was. And I was alone with my thoughts. And I dreaded that part of the day that I drank so that I was perfectly timing a blackout with when I went to bed so that I could skip that part of being alone with myself. And yoga had zero appeal to me because yoga is really solitude and going deep in your thoughts and connecting with your body. And I just wanted no part of me, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so sobriety, it's just, it makes me laugh because now I love yoga. And that's one of the greatest gifts of sobriety is we get ourselves back, right? We stop trying to fit into other people or despise ourselves. We really get ourselves back and we get to enjoy ourselves in a way that maybe we never have. Can you talk about that? What does that mean to you? And and are you your own best friend? And what do you love about yourself now? Oh, I think you have really struck a chord with one of the most important important aspects of sobriety and one of the biggest fundamentals as far as why people drink. 
I certainly was not aware of it that I was doing it at the time, but especially being sober and especially being around people that drink to oblivion, it is that uncomfortability with self. It's that I don't like my thoughts. I don't like being in my own mind. I don't like my own body. Like all of this is uncomfortable. Get me out. Get me away. I think as far as the sobriety journey goes, I think this is one of the critical points that people tend to hit. It's because when you initially get sober, you're often described like you're in the pink cloud where like you have more energy and you feel good about yourself. Everything is just sunshine and rainbows. And then eventually that wears off and you're just stuck with yourself. And I that's the point when most people turn to drinking, again, it's because, oh, quitting drinking didn't solve all my problems. The reason we drink, the reason we have these addictions is because of something else. And in some ways, the true work, the hard work is learning how to be with yourself, learning how to love yourself. For me, a process of that, it was undoing the shame and it was getting to the roots of why do I feel shameful? For me, a lot of that was how I spent my time. I hate myself. Why do I hate myself? Well, I don't exercise. All I do is play video games. I don't have any interesting hobbies. I don't do anything. Okay, well, do all of those. Rather than focus on what you don't like about yourself, focus on at least who you do want to be. I want to be the kind of person that exercises. So I'm going to go to the gym four or five times a week. Like, okay, I like that. Okay, I want to be the kind of person that travels that does that. So, okay, I'm going to make a point of doing that. And the more you engage with the person you want to be, with a person you respect, with someone you think is worthwhile, the more you can be with yourself. Because if I'm alone, I'm I'm reading, I'm growing, I'm building my business, I'm connecting with friends, I'm going on hikes or I'm snowboarding. I do interesting things and I have interesting hobbies and I engage with life in a way that resonates with me and that thrives with me. So I think part of learning to love yourself and enjoying yourself is being the kind of person you would enjoy being around. If you're the kind of person that I just sit at home and I complain and I don't do anything, no one else is going to want to be around that and you're not going to want to be around it either. So if you become an interesting person, then you will enjoy your company. Oh, I love that. You mentioned uh, when you got sober, you dug into books and podcasts. What are some of your favorite resources that you recommend to other people that are starting out on this path? The number one I always give a recommendation for is a community online um, on Reddit, R Stop Drinking. Um, This is just a absolutely beautiful resource. I was going there almost every single day. Um, It's just got testimonials from people well into their sobriety journey, people just starting off. It's a lot of really positive encouragement. It has a huge list of books and resources, but that is always my first recommendation. Beyond that, Alcohol Lied to Me. I think it's Greg Beck wrote that. Uh, Alan Carr's Easy Way to Quit Drinking is a very, a very simple book, but I think has a lot of good lessons. Uh, as far as podcasts go, I mean, obviously, I think this is a fantastic <laughs> podcast. I totally I, for that. <laughs> um, the Way Out. 
Charles from Minnesota here on Zed. That's another great sobriety podcast. I personally resonate with a lot more spiritual and entrepreneurial podcasts. So I really like Aubrey Marcus. (laughs) I think as far as sobriety, Joe Rogan can be a hard resource, but I think a lot of his early work is very inspiring. But I also would maybe throw an asterisk in there as far as I think his podcast can be quite triggering if you're in early sobriety. (laughs) Sometimes it's just what we fill our heads with, right? We can, we can numb out with information too, in a positive way and just, you know, listen to uh, for distraction. A lot of people on are posting in the online groups that I'm in talk about being just true crime junkies because Mm. it's just escapism and something else to occupy your thoughts to keep your mind off the distractions of self. Absolutely. Talk to me a little bit about your book. Yes. Um, so I wrote my book last year, Dualities. And so I describe it as um, a quasi self-help, quasi autobiography. A big intention of mine writing this book was I was only going to speak on issues that I felt I had a deep understanding of, a deep something to give. Um, So for example, I didn't speak on nutrition in any way. Um, I think nutrition is super critical to our lives, but I'm not a nutritionalist. I don't understand the science enough to really speak on it. But with dualities, I laid it out in a format where I believed the information would be in a digestible way with the simplest steps first and then going forward. The book is about laying the foundations for an intentional life. The early chapters are about discovering who you really want to be, what goals you want to set, how you set effective goals. There are chapters, one is removing poisons, and this can be something tangible, something physical like alcohol. Removing poisons also can be your social life. I mean, there's so many people that aren't not supportive of your journey, that are negative, that you it's important to consider how much of them you're willing to have in your life, if you're willing to have them in your life. Some people that blatantly are so toxic that I, I really don't think you should hold space for them at all. And then some of the final chapters dive into more higher level practices like meditation and even people I know who've been they're very spiritual been doing yoga for years really struggle with meditation we're on our phones constantly we're so plugged in like to sit and be still can be one of the absolute hardest things and having meditated for years I still struggle with it I describe the book as if you were a beginner if you were wanting to just get grounding If you want to build the foundations for your life so you're going to have lasting success, I feel like this is the place to start. For anyone out there listening, I have a few chapters of the book on my website that are published for free. So I always recommend people that go check out, see if my writing style works for you. If it's something you resonate with, uh, you can find it on Amazon. A big intention of writing it for me was just doing it. So many of our goals, so many things we chase in life, we just get afraid. How is it going to sell? And what if people don't like it? And what if, what if, what if, what ifs? And it was one where 
I had dreamed of writing a book for years and it was like, I have something to say. I'm just going to sit down and do it. I just let go of, I don't know if anyone's going to read this. I don't know if I'm going to publish it. I just want to do it. I mean, it took close to a year to write and it was such a feeling to just have it pen to paper, holding it in my hand. I did this. I've certainly had a lot of people reach out and were very grateful for me sharing my journey, sharing my own experiences. I mean, if even one person got anything from that book, I I would have felt like it was a success. Oh, that's a great accomplishment. Congratulations. Well, thank you. How can our listeners find you and connect with you? Yeah, so you can go on my website. It's willowenblack.com. That's the main page for me and my organization, The Balanced Self. Balanced Self teaches yoga and meditation to corporate teams, schools, and to private individuals. Uh, You can also find me on Instagram and on Facebook at The Balanced Self. And anyone that's listening can feel free to reach out through email or through DM uh, if you have any questions on my book on sobriety, on yoga, on meditation, like I'm happy to be a resource in any way I can and share any of the insights I've gained. Thank you so much. I so appreciate you being here. It's been great getting to know you today. Well, thank you so much, Jean. I really appreciate you sharing this space with me and it's been wonderful chatting. Listeners, I hope you enjoyed our discussion today. Just flip down to the show notes and you'll find all the links to Will's website and to his book. That's all for this week. Thank you for listening. Until next time, take good care. I own it. I did that. Not proud, but that was me. And when I face it, I take back a little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free from the power. Head on me. In a dark corner is where shame likes to hide. Oh, you think you're strong just cause you'll keep it on the side. It just stays and wait there to rob you of your pride. Just want to be free from power. Oh, yes, head on. You don't have to shout it out on Main Street to be clear. You don't need to whisper to confession every year. The person you should talk to is looking at you in the mirror. And the one who matters most can always hear When you say I'm old, different Not proud, but that was me And when I face it, I take back a little dignity I'm not looking for excuses I just want to be free from the power Oh, you said I'm When you say I'm old, different Not proud, but that was me I take back a little dignity I'm not looking 
just want to 